There's so much health advice out there, lots of different voices and opinions, but who can you trust? Trust the experts, the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them tough, intimate health questions so you get the answers you need. This is the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Health Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Annie Zaleski, and today we're talking about the groundbreaking Cleveland Clinic Brain Study with the study's co-PI, Dr. Ahmad Najam, Director of Cleveland Clinic's Epilepsy Center at the Cleveland Clinic Neurological Institute. One in every six people around the world live with a neurological disorder, a broad term used to describe things such as Alzheimer's disease, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, headaches, or a stroke. Although you can make lifestyle changes to decrease your risk of developing any of these conditions, doctors still can't pinpoint exactly why some people develop them and others don't. However, the first-of-its-kind Cleveland Clinic brain study is aiming to identify biomarkers of these disorders so doctors can prevent certain neurological disorders from happening and maybe even stop or slow the progression of these diseases after diagnosis. Dr. Najim is here to discuss how the study came about, what makes the study so groundbreaking, and what other goals doctors hope to achieve. Dr. Najim, thank you so much for being here today. Glad to be here. So I'd like to start off by having you tell us a little bit about your work here at the Cleveland Clinic. What kind of research and clinical work do you do in addition to your involvement in the brain study? Yes, uh, I am a neurologist by training with subspecialty training in epilepsy. So my daily clinical work is in the epilepsy center at the Neurological Institute. I take care of patients with epilepsy, but mainly I deal with patients with complex epilepsy problems. My research over the years have been uh, focused on the better understanding of why epilepsy happens in some patients who have what we call malformations in the brain. And in particular, I'm interested in identifying what we call biomarkers of the disease during its progression as epilepsy difficult to treat with multiple anti-seizure medications. So this brain study is really, you know, a kind of a natural progression and outgrowth of everything you've already been doing. So this is great. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the brain study is the idea of it is basically started by everyday, our experience as clinicians in everyday practice. And it would be an epilepsy, it could be Alzheimer's, could be stroke, Parkinson. And this is where the whole idea came from and our interest and excitement in being part of it. So those are neurological diseases. And so can you give, I guess, for people who might not be familiar, what is sort of the definition of a neurological disease? Well, a, the broad definition of neurological disease is any disorder that affects mainly the brain or part of the brain. I mean, some examples of this that we may be familiar with will include a disease such as multiple sclerosis a disease such as stroke, a disease such as Parkinson's, 
Alzheimer's, dementias, other movement disorders. So any of these disorders that affect either one part of the brain or the whole brain would qualify for the designation as a neurological disease or a neurological disorder. What makes diagnosing these neurological diseases so challenging? Yes. The current diagnosis of most neurological disorders today is based on clinical, sometimes imaging, neurophysiological, such as EEG, electroencephalogram, and multiple lab studies that could be helpful only after the disease has progressed in main uh, in the most of these neurological problems. In other words, the diagnosis is made after the damage of the brain has been done. To date, there has been an insurmountable challenge to our quest for curing of or reversing the impact of many of these neurological disorders, but in particular, those called neurodegenerative diseases. Well, and, you know, as you kind of explain it there, you know, I would think the advantage of, you know, identifying and diagnosing these diseases early is so you stop that degeneration from happening. So you kind of cut it off at the pass almost. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the biggest challenge is to make the diagnosis before the disease has had time to affect the brain, to destroy these neurons and make it almost irreversible uh, uh, progression of the clinical presentation and devastation that ensues from the disease progression. So in terms of the brain study that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it was definitely kind of, you know, rooted in so much of the research that's happened. How long ago kind of did this idea for the study develop then that, you know, that people decided, hey, let's, we're going to do this? Yes. As I mentioned earlier, uh, all of us in clinical practice, we every day face the problem of making a diagnosis and knowing the time we make the diagnosis, there is not much we can do. In particular, we cannot reverse what has happened and we can never cure that disease. So uh, the idea about the brain, the Cleveland Clinic brain study started maybe five, six years ago. And during a meeting between myself and Dr. Machado, who is the chair of the Neurological Institute at Cleveland Clinic, where we were talking about ideas for the future and how we can, as Neurological Institute and Cleveland Clinic, we can make a dent in our understanding and in our treatment of patients with neurological disorders. And we started the uh, discussion on what is something that could be done? And then during the discussion, we started to think about what other ways uh, other specialties have addressed problems. In particular, we focused on the heart and cardiovascular disorders. And then we started to 
analyze why and how we are now in a situation from a cardiology standpoint that we are able to have to prevent many of the most devastating cardiovascular disorder. And then one study came up very uh, uh, clear to us, which is what we call, what is called the Framingham study. And the Framingham study, uh, many of us know about it, but it's a study that started in 1947, uh, after the Second World War, when people coming back excited and big uh, uh, use, heavy use of fat in diet, for example, uh, smoking, and nobody would understand the impact of many of the diseases that they, we suffer from, such as high blood pressure, diabetes. And uh, there was big uh, problem with people in their 40s having heart attacks and dying. So uh, the idea here came from the public health service that preceded the National Institute of Health, uh, starting a study to understand on a large population over time, what could be the risk factors that determine the occurrence of cardiovascular diseases. And Framingham study, it is one of the most impactful studies in the history of cardiovascular disorders because it enabled us to understand that smoking is bad for heart diseases, that diabetes, high blood pressure that are uncontrolled may lead to a significant increase in the incidence of cardiovascular disorders. This led to the development of medication for blood pressure better control of diabetes and developing the development of medications such as statin that led to a significant decrease of coronary artery diseases. So uh, we thought, why can't we do something like this for the brain? But immediately we understood that it took 30 years or 40 years for a government agency to support a study. How can, we, can a small institute like Neurological Institute, relatively speaking, and the Cleveland Clinic, even though it's so large and powerful, embark into something like this? We knew from the beginning that it is gonna be very difficult for us to get off the bat funding from government agencies for this because the National Institute of Health would love to help in the process, but not in a five, 10 year process of collecting data with no results. So we decided to model our Cleveland Clinic Brain Study to the Framingham study, but at the same time, getting the resources and the money from philanthropy and from donations rather than from the NIH in the beginning. With the main goal here for us is to understand what are the, what we call biomarkers of disease development before the disease starts. 
And that has been the subject of big discussions internally about, okay, what age should we start enrolling people? We cannot start at birth because it's going to take us 70 or 80 years. And that's why we decided to enroll uh, uh, healthy volunteers at an age where we think the silent phase of the disease may be starting in some of us. And that's why we chose 50 years and older. So what are some of these biomarkers then, uh, you know, that you, that you hope to find? And what are some of the ones that we're already, you're already kind of aware of and know about that are kind of signs of neurological disease? Yes. The biomarkers that we are hoping to define are some, maybe potentially, some genetic biomarkers. Uh, some uh, genetic could be at the DNA level could be at what we call the epigenetic thing, which is the change in DNA in a process called methylation. And this happened, by the way, after birth, and it's not affected by uh, mostly by hereditary problems. And then there would be what we call the transcriptomics. It means looking at the RNA, the part of the genome that translates the message from the DNA to produce the protein that will provide the function of a cell or a dysfunction of a particular area of the brain. And then we're looking at uh, biomarkers in the blood that would include proteins, you know, for example, something that we talk about in brain disorders now, such as neuroinflammation, neuroinflammatory biomarkers are proteins in the blood. And then we're looking at something in our gut that may give an indication about something that may be affecting the brain. That's why looking at the stool and what we call the microbiome. These are some of the biomarkers from biosamples from the blood and the stools. In addition, we are looking for biomarkers using state-of-the-art technologies. Uh, using, for example, retina scan, a scan to the eye that takes maybe five minutes or less, giving us an indication what may be going on in the brain. Why the retina? You may ask, what, what does the eye have to do with the brain? So the eye, in particular the retina, it is part of the nervous system and the neurological systems and because the cells in the retina are actually neurons. And there is a nerve called the optic nerve going to the brain. So there are some indications actually asked of what currently, what are the currently available biomarkers. There are small indication now that is not proven that looking at the retina, for example, we can see some plaques even before Alzheimer disease as a disorder start to happen. So we hope using, for example, OCT, which is a retina scanner, scan to understand, to get some insight into the brain before things happen. Of course, we are using state-of-the-art uh, MRI technologies to scan the brain, to use almost every type of sequence or process that we have in our hands to image almost everything we can. And then in addition to that, 
we're looking at the relation between the heart and the brain. We're looking at electrocardiogram, just simply looking at the heart rhythm. Now, does it give us some prediction of something to happen? And we're looking at the echocardiogram, looking at the pump. Because, you know, when we do the echocardiogram, or the cardiologists, they do echocardiogram, they look at the pump and say, well, it is within normal limits. What, what if, you know, a person who is 20 years old has an 80% of their pump working to send the volume to the rest of the body? What if it is 75% or 70%, which is practically is normal? But does it affect this, what we call maybe less perfusion or less blood going to the brain? Although it's deemed to be adequate, but maybe impacting the brain on the long run. Then in addition to that, we're looking at cognition. We are trying to understand where we are from an intellectual standpoint, from memory standpoint, and to assess the function of the brain as we age. Another thing that we may be adding in future could be something like recording simply the voice. We know, we, we know now there are some changes that may be happening in our tone, the cadence of the words, the content of what we say, that may be changing during the early stages of a neurodegenerative disease, such as Parkinson, such as Alzheimer's dementia. So these are some of the biomarkers that we think we'll be uh, uh, looking for. Now, I can tell you, we will have access to billions and billions of data points per individuals. And using now the modern science of bioinformatics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, I think we're going to uncover much more than we are thinking about. And in particular, we may be discovering things that we never thought about. That is just all so exciting. And it's what I think what's so exciting about it is you're bringing so many different areas together in, in one thing. And that it's very much like it's not just studying the brain. It's everything else that goes into it. Like that's that's incredible. We are certainly excited about it. And in addition to that, we are not collecting a set of data at one single time point. We're collecting set of data over year after year and following up the, our volunteers into later stages of, our, of their lives and trying to find out what we are finding or what we are observing with time. And in particular, if at certain point, what we call an inflection point, when the, they develop the disease, what are the changes you're seeing when the disease now developed clinically? But more importantly, what are the footprints of the disease during that silent period? during which the brain has been transformed from a healthy one to a brain with some problem or some pathological changes. You know, so in light of uh, just how much is being tracked, what departments and specialists are also involved in the study? 
it is a multidisciplinary effort. We have many institutes and departments within the Cleveland Clinic that have been and will be in the future involved. Give you an example examples. We have multiple departments or centers within the Neurological Institute. I can name a few. I can name the uh, Center for Brain Health, the dementia department. I can the Center for Behavioral Health, psychiatry, uh, uh, the Center Epilepsy Center, the Stroke Cerebrovascular Center, the Center for Multiple Sclerosis and multiple other centers within the Neurological Institute. Outside the Neurological Institute, we have very strong collaboration and involvement of colleagues from the Heart and Vascular Institute, from Head and Neck Institute, of course, from Learner Research Institute, and the Lab Institute and others. Now, when people you know, in the study then, are, are people joining over time? Because I understand that this is going to be a 20-year period of tracking. Are, are people going to jump in maybe 10 years down the line? Or, you know, how is that kind of going to work? How are you envisioning that? Yes, we are, uh, actually, we are envisioning this as people with time uh, enrolling in the study. Unfortunately, we cannot enroll all 10,000 initial people in the first year. So it is a process that is going to take time and it's going to take a lot of uh, logistical adjustments in order for us to be able to perform all these studies on each one uh, once a year. So, uh, it, so far we've had, we've been so heartened by the excitement of the community at large and even people from outside Northeast Ohio, we have people from many states outside Ohio inquiring about the study and how excited they are to participate if they do qualify for the study. So, so far, we have more than 8,300 individuals who signed up for the study. Signing up doesn't mean we qualify for it because we're looking for healthy uh, volunteers from a brain standpoint. It doesn't matter if somebody has any other disease in the body. As long as they're neurologically healthy, we will take them. But we have to go through screening process and then to schedule the initial appointment, which now we're making some inroads into this, not as fast as we want, but we are getting ramping up our recruitment process every day. And we think starting like in beginning of 2023, we'll be able to enroll anywhere between 200 and 250 individuals per month, which will give us around 2,400 to 3,000 per year, which is much more than we thought we'd be doing. Will give us, will put us on pace to enroll the first 10,000 individuals somewhere between three and four years after we started the study. So when you say someone needs to be neurologically healthy, what does that look like then? Like, what does that mean, um, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, what, what, so I guess, what does that mean? It means the person doesn't have a history of stroke, a history of multiple sclerosis, 
of Alzheimer's, epilepsy, or Parkinson's disease. In addition to that, we examine all of the individuals. We do a thorough neurological exam, a thorough, a thorough neurocognitive exam, MRI, and all of the studies. And we can determine based on the technology of 2022 if this person has a neurological disorder or not. And if they have a neurological disorder, we can refer them to the appropriate center, subspecialty center within the Neurological Institute or anywhere they would like to receive their care. So with all of the things that are being tracked then, you know, if, if someone does make it in the study, what is it going to look like for them to be tracked? Would they go somewhere for an entire day and have a battery of tests? What is that kind of going to look like? Yes, uh, the, uh, the way the, each person, when they uh, uh, decide to be enrolled and they deem to be uh, good candidates for, they will be scheduled for all of these tests or multiple tests over like uh, 18 hour period. So a typical uh, schedule would be the person to check in around four o'clock in the afternoon at our currently at the main campus. And then after that, they will have the eye exam, the eye scan, then the MRI of the brain. Then they will check in the hotel uh, across the street and they will uh, have their dinner. They will go after that to have the sleep study, sleep study and EEG overnight. They will be uh, hooked to the electrodes for recording of their brain waves. Wake up in the morning, they will be unhooked, they will have their breakfast and go to the testing center for the epigenetic brain study where a full neurological exam done uh, by an experienced provider will be performed. Plus we have a digital neurological exam as well to give us less subjective and more objective determination of what's going on. Then they will have a neurocognitive test to look for memory and cognition. And they may have additional tests now or in the future, like I mentioned, for example, voice recordings. And then, of course, we collect blood sample and if they do have any stool sample uh, to, uh, to give us. That will be more or less the typical uh, uh, enrollment exam or tests. And this will be done almost every year. Some tests, for example, MRI will do them every other year. The echocardiogram will do it every five years. Other tests like the electrocardiogram, neurological exam, the uh, uh, blood testing will be done on a yearly basis. And in between, we may be in touch with our volunteers with some brief questionnaires to understand how they are doing, if there is anything new that may have happened. That's all very efficient. That's that's very, you know, and for someone who's like looking to be in this, then, you know, that's very easy to compartmentalize. It's not like you have to go every six months and do something different. So that's a really great setup. Yeah. So far, we had good feedback from our volunteers. Uh, we always ask for uh, suggestions for improvement because we started the study from scratch. 
we have created a multi multiple uh, a study that requires multiple tests that we are compressing them into 18 hour period so uh, there are areas of improvement that we always are very happy to hear from our volunteers about suggestions how to make the flow better but so far it's been very very good so in addition to helping doctors find new ways to prevent a lot of these neurological disorders or kind of identify them before they happen you know what about treatment then um you know after the study is said and done looking at results is it a possibility that doctors are also going to find new ways to you know treat people after they've been diagnosed then that is the most exciting part of the study and the overarching goal of the study, which is not only to diagnose, which we've been been doing in neurology for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. We are here to diagnose and treat. And even I can take it one step further. Our dream is to not only diagnose, to even uh, uh, predict who is going to develop a disease and come up with a treatment to prevent it rather than to deal with the consequence of a disease that has already developed. So the biomarkers that we are looking for, in particular the blood biomarkers, they could be used to make a diagnosis. You can do a blood test, say, oh, you are at risk of developing Alzheimer's. But same time, we can see some of these biomarkers may be targets for treatment. And that is, I think, the most exciting part. For example, if we find a particular protein in the blood that is telling us this person is going to develop Parkinson's in five years from now, we can go and partner with companies, governments, institutions all over the world. and get together and design a drug, a medication that can be given to target that particular protein. And doing so, there will be a significant chance of not only treating a particular neurological disorder, but more importantly, to prevent that disorder from happening. And therefore, we don't need to deal with any disabling consequence of even the start of a neurological problem. That is our dream. And this is what we hope will be achieving. I mean, that's just transformative. You know, that that could change so many people's lives. That could, you know, in addition to changing medicine. Absolutely. It It will change people's lives. It will change how society is allocating resources and how we age into a much happier environment than some of us unfortunately has to endure, not only as patients, but as families and as society in general. So as the study progresses then, you know, will you be releasing any interesting findings early or is it only going to be kind of at the 20 year mark that things will emerge? No, we will be releasing information as we have it. We don't want to delay things. We're already 
100 years behind here in tackling neurological problems. So we cannot afford to wait for the completion of all of the uh, goals of the study. So any finding we have, after we do what we call periodic analysis, we have a team of bioinformaticians, data scientists, statisticians, and researchers who are, even as we speak now, looking at 230, 240 patients, uh, volunteers' data that we acquired over the last seven months and trying to understand from it, what are we seeing? Are we seeing something that we can learn from, even though none of them has developed a disease yet? And we hope, like within the next two, three years, when we have, you know, 5,000, 6,000 individuals with two, three years of follow-up, we may have some early findings or early clues about what may be, what some of biomarkers may look like and where are they coming from? Is it from the blood, from the stool, from the MRI? And then to share these findings in scientific journals. And we hope to use some of these, this data that we will be generating to apply for funding from government agencies and in particular from the National Institutes of Health. Now, as the study progresses, then, you know, obviously it's supposed to be, you know, 20 years. Is there the possibility of potentially extending it if things are going well or the data that is just so exciting and groundbreaking that it would be a shame to just stop? We hope that the study will progress as long as there is a question about a particular neurological disorder. I think our dream here and our plan is that the study will transcend generations and will enable not just this generation but future generations to continue it as needed to build on it but as importantly to be able to use the data that this study would be would have been would have uh, collected for many years before. Now, we, we think and we hope that some of this data that we are collecting now, for example, an MRI scan, we are able to analyze it with the technology of 2022. We hope and we think that in 2050, for example, there will be much better ways to analyze the same images that you and I and all the experts are looking at now. And maybe get much more information from the same data that we have now and build on this in the process of early diagnosis and curing neurological disorders. So we hope that this study will never stop till every neurological disorder, in particular of old age, is tackled and hopefully treated and cured. And that goes back to what you mentioned earlier, that, you know, that artificial intelligence and technology in that area has evolved so much and is really helping inform the study. And that's exciting too, because in five years, who knows what will even be there that will be at our fingertips to be able to analyze this data or gather data. That's very exciting. Certainly it is. Well, is there anything else you want to add then or anything we haven't covered uh, that you want to mention? 
I yes, I would love to state something that I think as society we have to be aware of. We all suffer from it when we have one of our own develop in one of these neurological diseases. A friend, a father, a mother, a sister developing a stroke or been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or a father who just was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And once we have this diagnosis, it's very close and personal to us. And we all feel that we lost somebody, although this person is in front of us still. So as a society, we have to start to think, do we want to plan on building nursing homes for the next 50 years to take care of crippling neurological disorders? Or we want to try to understand the brain better and develop the cure for tomorrow. We have to start today as Cleveland Clinic, as Neurological Institute, we are making the first step. And we hope this will create excitement all over the world. And many institutions will band together in order to fasten the process of untangling the uh, uh, reasons or the causes of or the mechanisms of neurological disorders and in the process to cure them and prevent them from happening altogether. And I'm glad you pointed that out because the, the emotional side of being a caretaker for someone or knowing someone can take a toll. And, you know, the fact that this study might do something to alleviate that or, you know, or, or offer some hope to people, I mean, that can't be underestimated, just the importance of that. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here today. This has been such a wonderful conversation and so interesting. And uh, I'm so glad this work is being done. Well, thank you for having me again. For more information about the Cleveland Clinic Brain Study, visit clevelandclinic.org slash brain study. Thank you for listening to Health Essentials, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest health tips, news, and information.